And mm-hmm. this system is one of unsafety. This system mm-hmm. is one of hopelessness. And if you really want to, to serve the homeless on Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's cute. But if you really want mm-hmm. to address poverty, you have to get out there when the cameras are, are not on you, when it's not a holiday season, when because right. people are not just going through oppressive times during seasons. It's not a seasonal problem. Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Yo, what's going on, family? This is Humanize. Um, another episode about pushing culture, pushing the conversation towards social justice um, and working towards this dismantling of systems of oppression. Um, I want to begin today by making this another disclaimer that Emily and I have chosen to do this work and we do not represent every person. I don't represent every person of color and she doesn't represent every white person. So please don't make any assumptions and enjoy what we bring. And hopefully we can all learn together and grow. Also, you know, we're, we're having a conversation across differences and across race. And that's because we have established this relationship that we're both open to answering all these questions and sharing, um, sharing pretty personal stuff. And that's what we're going to do. (laughs) Start off this episode today with today, we're going to be talking about BIPOC and allies will never be the ones to dismantle white supremacy and systems of oppression. And we're going to tell you what that means, because I think it might mean something different than you think it means when you hear that. And how that topic came up the other day, Courtney and I were chatting and I said, you know, I had this this realization the other day. And honestly, like, as I'm preparing to tell this story, my heart is racing a little bit because this is like a pretty personal story and a hard one for me to tell. Um, You know, I think a a hard part of working to uncover my own enculturation and white supremacy has been looking critically on my family because I, you know, I I love my family, adore my family. And so it makes it particularly hard to examine how I was brought up critically and especially anything related to my mom. I mentioned on previous episodes that she passed away when I was young. And so she, it's hard for me to think critically about anything that that she's done but this is what this story is is really about so sh- she was involved in um you know civil rights work and she brought me and my sisters to work at homeless shelters when we were young and you know taught us about poverty taught us about empathy and i was in a private school that was very much kind of into multiculturalism you know celebrating diversity and that was the world that i was immersed in even though I grew up in yeah, outside of Boston, a very white area. And I have this one memory that really is prominent in, in my memories, which is saying a lot because I don't <laughs> have a lot of memories. I'm not someone that remembers a lot of stuff. So I, I came home one day and I must have been in about sixth grade. And I remember talking to my mom, who even at that point was 
you know, in bed sick when I, when I came home, she had cancer for many years. And I was telling her how excited I was because I had a crush on this guy. And, you know, he was great, great guy, really bright, funny, popular, you know, great athlete. And, um, and in the conversation, it came out that he was black. My sister and my mom said, you know, she listened to me and nodded and smiled, you know, happy that her daughter had, you know, a crush on someone or whatever. And then she was like, that's great. That's great that you have a crush on him. I'm not going to name him, but just don't marry someone who's black. And I, I remember being taken aback, right? Because all these people around me are teaching me about equality and equity and diversity. So like, why is this line being drawn in the sand? And she said, I was like, you know, why? And she said, well, I just don't, I, I want your life to be as easy as possible. I don't want you to have to deal with um, things that are just really hard to navigate. And so I kind of take this, in, this story in as like, wow, something something wasn't lining up. And I think that's why the, the memory kind of stuck in my head was like, I've been taught all these things and now I'm hearing something totally different. And that's kind of why I was recounting it to you, Courtney. And you had this immediate response around allies. And I'm just really curious to, to hear more about your response there. I mean, thank you for being vulnerable with that story. I know it took a lot for you to say that, and I appreciate it. What came to my mind is the difference between allyship and accomplices. When you're an ally, in my mind, I feel like you're, you're comfortable. You do good things. You, you, you assist you 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 may say the right things at the right time you may do certain actions but at the end of the day you're safe you know you're you're okay right. you know you can mm-hmm. it's like it's kind of a voyeuristic type of situation that you're in even mm-hmm. though you're mm-hmm. touching but to me it seems really it, it's it's sort of like look going to a zoo a petting zoo towards an issue like this you know you're there you're mm-hmm. in you're in the zoo however you're safe from you're safe from the the animals, you know, and so they won't they won't bite you, they won't attack you, you know. When you're accomplice, you're in the cage with a lion, so you can get bit, you know. You're you're there with um, a snake, so it, the snake may choke you, and so I feel like in order for us to really address suppression, oppression, and dismantle systems that perpetuate such, we have to people bipods have to align themselves with accomplices. But then individuals mm-hmm. who don't want reform, they want they want things to be dismantled and rebuilt, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because the U.S. has an ingrown system of oppression that will take too many. Li- it, will, it will take too long to try to reform and and massage and make sure all parties are happy without and while doing that lives are being lost. Communities are being destroyed. You know, systems mm-hmm. are continuing to suppress and oppress and do what they were built to do. And so in order to really, if we really want to affect true change, that is going to have to come along with the um, the alignment of BIPOCs with accomplices and not BIPOCs with allies, because allies are going to be safe. And mm-hmm. this system is one of unsafety. This system mm-hmm. is one of hopelessness. And if you really want to to serve the homeless on Thanksgiving and Christmas, it's cute. But if you really mm-hmm. want to address poverty, you have to get out there when the cameras are, are not on you, when it's not a holiday season. When because right. 
people are not just going through oppressive times during seasons. It's not a seasonal problem. Right. You know, right. So. there's uh, right. And there's, gosh, there's so much what you just said. That's so interesting. I have questions about um, one thing that the, the cameras are not on. I think this is a really interesting piece, how there's this, like this push to kind of have a lot more people involved in social justice. And then, so that has meant that people are trying to amplify that by being more visible in the way that they're doing that. And I kind of feel like, I know this is strange coming as someone who's now in a podcast about this. I kind of feel like it's, it is so important to take some time and do work of dismantling white supremacy really on your own with no recognition and no, you know, cause this is, I have found, you know, as I've reflected upon my role in the work, like there is this temptation towards like white exceptionalism or like, maybe I'm doing this different and, and these, these pieces and the way to get around that is to turn the cameras off, like do the work and don't tell anyone that you're reading the book and don't tell anyone that you're doing this and this and this. And I think it's an important kind of, um, litmus test of like, like, can I, can I do this? And I've struggled with it at times. Like it's a very confusing piece for me because it also does need to be public and spread around, (laughs) you know, it's a confusing, it's a confusing piece. The thing about authentic work sooner or later, the world will know, like Uh it's going to, it's going to be proof. It's going to be a time where an ally is going to show up and then you're going to see an accomplice show up and you're going to see the difference in the work. And so they don't have to yell it from the mountain that I'm reading white privilege or reading post-traumatic slave syndrome. You you don't have to do that. But when you have certain conversations with your white friends, um, when you have, when, when you have certain conversations with your children or your husband or your wife, a white person will start to know because they will embody that work. Because this work cannot be a trendy thing. It has to be an embodiment. It has to become a practice. It has to become something that you do. And I would rather know that someone is not really wanting to to be on the level of insanity that I am on versus someone who is just in it for a picture or just in it for a season. Because now I know how to deal with that person. But what hurts worse is when I thought that we were doing this together until shit got real. Right. Until there's an option to stay comfortable and then, yeah, like do the work, but don't actually marry someone and commit your life to doing the work. Like give yourself an out, right? That's like Um, what she was saying is like, give yourself the ability mm -hmm. to withdraw and stay comfortable while doing the work. Yeah. And I, I mean, I imagine there are people listening who are like, wait, but I identify as an ally and like, isn't that like, it's a slippery term because there, there are probably people out there who are allies using the term allies. Uh, but I feel like it's gotten muddled with people who are self-declaring as an ally. Is it, it's like a, yeah, it's something you should earn. It's not something you should like yeah. say I am now. And it's almost like it needs to be a verb, not a noun. Yeah. Right. Like yeah, I, I agree. This is what I'm doing in in allyship. How do you make that a verb? <laughs> I can't think yeah. of that. Yeah. I'm allying. I hear you. <laughs> I hear you. I, it's, it's funny you say that, and I quickly think of Michael Jordan. 
He didn't call himself okay. the greatest basketball player of all time to ever touch him. He never said that about himself. He let right. his work on the court show you that I am the greatest man to ever touch a basketball, period. Right. You know, yeah. so if he goes out there and says, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, but you're not winning no rings, you look crazy. Right. You like a good basketball player. But right. <laughs> the, the, the world, the, you had to give him, you mean, I, I, I'm a Jordan fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I love it be, because he embodies the work ethic that I think I have to have in order for where I'm trying to go in the world. Yeah. Yeah. For me, the examples come to mind of like the Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh. They don't go around saying, I am enlightened. Exactly. I'm an enlightened person. Do things like me. Because I had an ex-boyfriend who wrote me an email saying, I'm enlightened now. And it's a little tough to be enlightened. And I was like, well, you're clearly not enlightened if you're just going around saying that you're enlightened. Like, yeah. that's absurd. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've been enlightened. I'm enlightened. Is there a way? I, I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Like, I, I imagine that there is a desire when you meet a white person. It, there, there must, is there a question of like, am I safe with this person? And like, is there a way to show otherwise saying like, as a white person, like, don't worry, I'm an ally. Do you see what I'm even pointing yeah. out with this question? Is there yeah. a way to navigate that? Like, yeah. like, I want to be like, I want to be on your side. You know, like if I have that intention, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really, yeah. You, you, you don't have to, like we say, like we say where I come from, say less, you know, that means it doesn't have to be said if it's being shown. You don't have to tell me you're an ally. Just be a damn ally. And then I may not, I don't want, like, I want allies and I want accomplices. Allies are cool to do the paperwork. When we out in the street. Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> the paperwork? Yeah, the paperwork. You good. Oh. A, yeah, allies are good to, as HR. The social like work HR. The, the paper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go file. But when I need somebody to go to kick the door in. You know, I need an accomplice. I need someone who's okay. not who gets dirty with me, you know, like because uh-huh. I'm not a type of leader that leads from an office. I'm the type of leader that laces up his Jordans and goes and walks on the Capitol like, bruh, what are we doing? Uh-huh. I, you know, yeah. so I, I need an accomplice like that. And so, yeah, there's always a feeling of, of unsafety when you're meeting someone new, especially when you're meeting someone new in this work, because you don't want to delineate any great work being done by aligning yourself with a bad partner uh-huh. you know like yeah. yeah so you have a situation like me and you doing this podcast and one day i just get crazy I'm like i hate all white people gets out the blue you're like damn <laughs> like we may need to revamp humanize uh in the season in the <laughs> like i just I, I messed it up like that's it you know so <laughs> Or I just say some crazy off the wall shit. You have just uh-huh. aligned yourself with someone that now puts your character into question. Right. You know? And so mm-hmm. you, there's always a fear of me doing that when I'm, when I'm trying to do this work, because mm-hmm. I only can know what I'm thinking. I don't know if this person is doing it for all the right reasons, but I'm human as well. And as soon as the real, and I'm using you, not saying that you're under indictment or you I'm, I'm I got you on the microscope still because like obviously we do hey no no <laughs> best believe I love my brand so much if I did not 
respect you and feel as though you were on the same. Like <laughs> I would have been like, Emily, thank you. Uh, but no, I would have looked. No, I, I'm I, goodbye. No, no, I can't do it. But if you, Emily, came out the wrong way while we were on this podcast, I would talk to you real time mm-hmm. on the podcast to say, oh, oh, em, like I don't, I don't agree with that. Now, after production and after the podcast, we'll have a continuation of that. And if it came that you were not a part of or we weren't walking in the same way, we'd have to make hard decisions. You know, like we're going to have to end this because obviously it's contradictory to what I thought. And you have and I hope you have, you know, you have the green light to say, you know, what, you're contradictory to what I thought we were going to do. And now I don't agree with it. So I don't want to go down that, that road any longer with you. You know, and so mm-hmm. there's always a fear, but people make mistakes. I'm human. How do we address the mistake when it's made? Right. Is is the so bigger true. issue. You know, like yeah. we're all going to make mistakes. Oh, we're yeah. all car- carving into a future that no one's ever seen. Exactly. So it's going to be sloppy. It's exactly. going to be it's going to be strange. Exactly. And you so you when you said, you know, BIPOC and allies won't dismantle white supremacy. It was like the definition of ally as in the paperwork or someone yeah. who's not really getting comfortable. Yeah. yeah. I want to ask you about, before I ask you a question about BIPOC, do you have anything you want to add there? No, I mean, it, and, it, and we were laughing about it, but I don't want to seem as again, that my way of doing this work is the only way to do it. Again, mm-hmm. these are challenging questions and the topic is a challenging one. And so it's not in an attempt to alienate anyone who feels as though they're doing what they do and that's the best that they can do. And they, however, they don't want to get dirty and, or, or, or do as much, you know, or have that much of a voice. Because again, at the end of the day, I know for a fact though, that if BIPOCs who are going through all this oppressive or living in this oppressive system are not aligned with individuals who are benefiting from the oppressive systems and those individuals are not willing to give up some of their comforts, we cannot have an honest conversation towards dismantling the oppressive system. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that gives more context and more answering of into the title of this episode of BIPOC and allies will not dismantle a system. Yeah, yeah. People who are being oppressed and people who are not willing to get uncomfortable are not going yeah. to be yeah. able to, exactly. to move ahead, however we define that term. Yes. So I'm curious about the term BIPOC. So mm-hmm. Black, Indigenous, people of color. I'm curious, how how do you feel about that term? Because I've been hearing from some Black people about how it's like, it's that grouping is unfair because Indigenous and people of color everyone has a different story in this and black people have a particular history that is particularly important to highlight and isolate. Like, do you think it's a fair term? I, I have, I hear myself on the podcast saying people of color a lot. I, I don't say BIPOC a lot because I was, as I was saying before the episode, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to use it in the plural form or put an A in front of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so I have to figure out the linguistics of it. How do you feel about that term as a grouping? Our brains deal best with patterns, you know? And so uh-huh. trying to put, because if you're not white, what does that mean? 
Because if you're not white and you're not black, where are you? And so I think BIPOC is an attempt to group either people into whites or Mm non-whites. You know, so you have black, indigenous, people of color. And so it's trying to talk to people who are Hispanic, talk to people who are um, Hawaiian, talk to Mm -hmm. Samoan. All of mm-hmm. all of those people, in my mind, and I could be wrong, and I would love as we open up to um, to interviews and things of that nature, or even commenting on our page, uh, I would love to be challenged in this. But I think that is closest that we can get to a whole inclusive type of categorization of the people who are not white. Because yeah. you, when you say indigenous, now you're talking about people who may be Native Americans or or Puerto Ricans mm-hmm. or or people who, because when you say black people, do you mean like African American, Africans? So now that's what I'm saying. So black people, okay, cool. People from America who are black, who are are who are melanated skin, this and that. Now you have indigenous mm-hmm. people, you talk, you could be talk, touching on Hispanics and Native Americans and people, and then people of color. You talk about Asians and, and individuals mm-hmm. like that. You know, so I think that is the scholarly way of including everyone in a group who are not white people, whole Caucasian. Yeah. And I think it's a useful term. I think it's I think it's great that it's a term that is not saying non-white, you know, like a term that's not saying not this, not this other mainstream thing. Also, too, it it shows a little bit that we also live in a system where we still trying to make sure that everyone is happy. So white people have to be happy and people Mm -hmm. of color have Mm -hmm. to be happy. So now non-whites and make it seem as though, like you just said, oh, you're not white. What's wrong with being white? Exactly. It's good. I guess so. I was listening to a podcast, and it, it's an Instagram handle originally of No White Saviors. They're based in Uganda. Great, great content. Great group of people. We'll put the um, link in the the show notes. But they were talking about anti blackness in Uganda, which mm-hmm. I thought was really interesting. You know, bl- brought in historically by colonialism, but even in Uganda, there's a hierarchy of, you know, how dark are you with yeah. you know more oppression the darker you are and so they are their concern i'd love to hear response to it is they're like gosh you know like poc or bipoc it just kind of minimizes the particular struggle of black people and anti-blackness in particular is that a line that is i don't know i now that i'm thinking about it now maybe it's an important like first wave like yeah. talking about anti-blackness directly is it's pretty intense. It's pretty intense when mm-hmm. I have explored it for myself. It's pretty intense. To, it sh- I don't think it should be named directly to black people in, in fear of re-traumatizing. That was another conversation we had. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm just too worried about people's feelings. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel about, you know, that, those distinctions and I. Damn. Crack some eggs. Let's make an omelet. Emily. Come on, man. We got to get dirty, <laughs> man. Um, <laughs> Nah, seriously, I, a lot of times I have an issue with individuals trying so hard to find issues with evolution. Like first it was POC. Now you go to BIPOC. The more issue is what are we doing to dismantle a system of oppression? 
I care less uh, about getting too caught up in terms. Yeah, yeah. Like we're getting so uh-huh. caught up into oh BIPOC. No, this doesn't feel right. What does it feel? Okay, cool. All that shit sounds good. What are we gonna do uh-huh. for little Ray Ray in the hood who can't get an education because his zip code is almost dictating where he's gonna live and die? Like uh-huh. those are the kind of things that I care about. Like all this other shit yeah. about like BIPOC, it sounds good. It's great for the academics. It's great for the, the theoretical conversations. It's great for the, the the conversations you have at dinner parties. But when what are we gonna do about true and real change? Like that mm-hmm. is what mm-hmm. pisses me off about this work that that I'm I've like given my life to. Because at the end of the day, we can have a whole bunch of books. And re- be well read on the trauma of slavery and all that. But the trauma of slavery will never be addressed by just reading about the trauma of slavery or arguing about anti-blackness when anti-blackness is not going to be addressed by knowing anti-blackness exists. Mm-hmm. And so like, that's the issue for me. Mm-hmm. But we were just picking apart the term ally. So there are some terms, you know, like... Yeah. I do think it's important. No, I totally hear what you're saying, but I do think it's important that we be mindful about how we're talking about things and and categorizing things. And I appreciate the work of critical theorists because it is bleeding so much into mainstream culture right now and really helping. No, I hear you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a both and, right? Like we got to make sure we get the right terms. We have to be boots on the ground too. I mean, it goes back like when when I think about medicine, uh, medicine is, especially in the U.S., it's heavy on research, right? We are, the, we are the leaders of research. We pay millions upon millions upon millions of dollars to research the shit out of diseases. Mm-hmm. And so we understand a disease inside out. Mm-hmm. Now, the research has shown, you always get doctors say, research has shown that this and that. And they do that from their great conferences and this and that. And not too many doctors want to get in to the to to where if you're talking about research of diabetes, diabetes is killing all these African American people. Da da da. You got paid millions to do that research. On to the next research. Okay, now that we know that research is killing all these black people in the hood, why don't we go and dispatch doctors to address the lack of access to healthcare so that it won't continue to kill them? So it's great to research for the knowledge, but if you don't have any execution or ways to affect change for the individuals that it is impacting, I think the research will always fall short. And that's mm-hmm. what I think when we, when it's coming to social justice work, it always falls short at, we know this exists. We know this exists. Again, we know this exists. What are we going to now? What are we going to do to address that? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. this is what I hope that I, I, I love about our podcast is we can open up the conversation to, but I after our, I always have to know in my mind the call to action, the call to action. Like what's next mm-hmm. after we've talked mm-hmm. about BIPOC and, and the work and uh, I, I need an accomplice, you know, and hopefully mm-hmm. like doing this work, like I'm viewing you, Emily, as an accomplice to to be out there to open up openly about something that was close to your heart. That was that's huge mm-hmm. to me. I can appreciate mm-hmm. that, you know, because that wasn't a little step. You were uncomfortable. And it was if individuals see this, they will see the discomfort and the quivering in your voice about the cry, thinking about someone you love 
And the position mm-hmm. now that as a social justice worker, seeing a flaw in the armor of someone you love, you know, that's a lot mm-hmm. to share with the world. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I can appreciate that. Yeah. So we've talked about BIPOC, we've talked about allies, and then dismantling white supremacy. There is the the talking about it stage, and then there's there's the action stage. Yeah. And is there any, do you have any stories about like any like, oh, that that is white supremacy being dismantled? You know, like what that looks like. Is 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 a great question. And I'm taking time to think about it because this is a this is a marathon and not a sprint. And mm-hmm. so, like when you're talking about working towards dismantling, it has been happening since the civil rights movement. You know, like when individuals have died for men and women to vote, you know, when individuals have died so that we could be free um, and not be um, exploited medically and exploited um, politically and exploited economically. And we're still not 100 percent there, but it has begun. Mm-hmm. Is now I feel like it's on me because I can only speak about me. It's on me to to take that torch and start to change it in another way. And so there are millions of stories, but it, it's not a true, it's not like, it's just like an insert. It's like a paragraph towards a story of, of change. It's like me finally figuring out what I want to do in my life and dedicating my life to social change while I was homeless sitting in, in my car. That's a mm-hmm. footnote in history for me saying, you know what, I dedicate my life and put it out there that I may die so that my children or other children in the world could see true liberation. Mm-hmm. That is the story that I, I, I feel like has to be told because it's less about me and more about what will I do with this new mission, this new mantra of my life. Am I going to politicize it? Am I going to do it for the wrong reasons? Or am I going to take this mission and 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 take it and and push a culture in the right direction. And so mm-hmm. it, it's a hard, that's a hard question to answer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I could tell you a lot of, I mean, growing up, I could tell you a lot of stories of oppression, you know, and, and times where right. a community, but to give you a, a story of liberation, it, it hasn't, it hasn't been met yet. It hasn't been completed. Like I've, I've only begun. Yeah. You know, yeah. so yeah, it's 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 uh that was a hard question. Yeah. Yeah. We'll keep it in mind maybe if you yeah. think of something later. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I certainly don't have like a story popping to mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's a good question. You know, we like to follow up our episodes with a question for yeah. folks. Um, so we'll we'll put that in our social media of like what is a moment that you've seen white supremacy being dismantled? Because we'd love to hear from from all of you and bring as many people as possible into this conversation. So as we're wrapping up this stream of back and forth, do you feel like you have any other, you know, final thoughts on this topic? I, I never. I, I feel like I never have final. <laughs> no, I was gonna. Say, <laughs> I was just thinking that, like, what you're gonna be like? I am complete. Yeah. I have said everything I need to say. Yeah. <laughs> I am enlightened. That's not you, Courtney. That's not you, Courtney. You are <laughs> I am now enlightened. You yes. are all. <laughs> yes. I um 
I think that on this on this journey of freedom and liberation, it always has to be an uh, intera- iteration. So when we talked about BIPOC, it came from the evolution of um, POCs. You know, and so we're always finding new ways to make sure that we're addressing a need and including individuals just because of the legacy of oppression, that the DNA and the makeup of our country to be very oppressive. You know, um, we have so much work to do. That's why I said the, the question was a difficult one, because it's been so long that individuals have been oppressed that people of color are experts on oppression. You know, but liberation and freedom, we don't know shit about, you know, and so like so dismantling a system. What does that look like? Because we see a lot of attempts. You know, we see a lot of people starting out for the right reasons and being gunned down when they start to really walk because Martin Luther King was really political, you know, so he had to walk a fine line. As soon as he, he stepped out of what some people felt like he was doing is it's not by chance that he was gunned down. Malcolm X, the same way. So when you start to talk about dismantling a system, it's it has been chipped away at. Yeah. But, and this is why Trump was such a, a powerful force because individuals who feel as though they have been forgotten about with two terms of Barack Obama, you know, and he's the first at this. We, that was chipping away at an oppressive system now trump comes back and says hold up let's make america great again that wasn't by chance you know that that was a brilliant intentional slogan to let you know don't forget don't forget who this country is for you know and so as we work towards an uh, oppressive system i think we need to understand that to dismantle an oppressive system, I think we need to understand that the history and understand that we are we are only at the beginning of a race and we will have some time when we fall back and we just have to keep the momentum going and hopefully um, we're turning the corner in history right now. Speaking of history, you mentioned Malcolm X and I just want to leave with a question. So when I think about my education, I can tell you I spent a gazillion more moments focused on Martin Luther King than Malcolm X. And I'd love to just learn more about him um, because I know he has had a tremendous influence. It's just kind of a blind spot for me. So where, um, what would you recommend? Where where should I start? It's our book or movie yeah. or a... I mean, both. The, the, um, Malcolm X has a movie. Denzel is the, um, is, is portrayed as Malcolm X. Amazing. Um, mm-hmm. The autobiography of Malcolm X written by um, uh, or narrated and by Alex Haley um, is a great book. Um, Malcolm X was a far more controversial figure when it came to mm-hmm. civil rights than, Malcolm, than Martin Luther King was. It's, yeah. it's, it, a lot of times it's safer... And see, that's and this is a whole nother episode. Now, I love, like, I I can appreciate what Martin Luther King did, you know, mm-hmm. just like I appreciate what Barack Obama did. But both of those men had to walk. They walked a very fine line with being in your face with civil rights and making sure that it wasn't so egregious. Malcolm X was in your face. He was like, white people are this 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 and so he was really disliked 
and, and more towards the end, because even Martin Luther and Malcolm X were at odds with how the civil rights movement should been um, ran. You know, so there were two they were two leaders who knew that they were living in an oppressive country. But Malcolm X obviously had a more nonviolent approach. Let's sit down and talk about it. Come to common ground. And Martin Luther, and I mean, and Malcolm X felt did I mix it up? Martin was more nonviolent. Malcolm felt as though, yo, we you hit me. I'm busting your ass. You do this is what I'm going to do. I'm not playing with white people. Y'all have had a run of it this long. And he says all the time, when a white man dies, chickens are coming back to roost. Like he was very in your face with civil rights. And so he it's 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 you will enjoy it. Like I need you to understand the um the story of a of a of a Malcolm X because he was a criminal, he went to jail, he came out, he he came he aligned like it was it's phenomenal. You'll you'll love it. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much for today. Thank you to all of our listeners. Um, we'll post that question on our Facebook and Instagram at the Humanized Podcast. So we'll see you again next time. Thank you guys so much. Humanize. Much love. Peace. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love.